You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, it's part two of my conversation with Sarah Weatherwax, curator of prints and photographs at the Library Company of Philadelphia. Sarah and I continue our discussion around the story of the wonderful early 20th century photographer, Gertrude Sayan. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Today, we're going to tackle part two of Gertrude Sayan's story. And I'm going to bring you part two of my conversation with Sarah Weatherwax, curator of prints and photographs at the Library Company of Philadelphia. As I said in part one, the Library Company wound up with thousands of Gertrude Sayan's negatives and prints, as well as ledger books from her studio. But as I mentioned in a teaser for today's episode, the reason the Library Company of Philadelphia wound up with that collection is not necessarily as straightforward as you might imagine. Now, just to recap part one, we've already met Gertrude Sayan and discovered that she's responsible for some beautiful portraits taken mainly of children in the studio between 1913 and 1941 in Philadelphia. There are examples of some of her wonderful output that are not just prints of these beautiful photographs, but also wonderful multi-page hand-bound photo books that include photographs of a single child shown in multiple poses and outfits and marked with the name and the date that the photos were taken. Now, as we pick up my conversation with Sarah today, Sarah and I are discussing Gertrude's husband, Edward Sayan Jr., and what part he may have had in the photography studio. Now, when they got married, certainly in the censuses before 1920, he is not a photographer, correct? That is correct. He is primarily listed as a wholesale carpet dealer, I believe. Okay. And then suddenly in 1920, he's listed as a photographer. And as, in, as we were talking, I have noticed that in the Philadelphia Directory, at least in 1915, which is after Gertrude would have opened her studio, he is listed in the directories as a photographer, not Gertrude. And I just, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, so we need to make a little more investigation. I want to do the deep dive, as I said, into the directories to see if I can figure out when she starts being listed, if it's before her husband dies. Her husband then is in the 1920 census, but by 1930, he's actually passed away. I believe he dies That's in 1928. Yes. He um, dies in 1928. And he dies of a heart attack or something like that, I think. Is that? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, and that leaves just her and her son, Harrison. The only family member that's surviving in her immediate family is her one son, Harrison. So I guess she is living with him or down the street from him in 1930. I'm trying to remember now. Because, um, or is he, he's actually... He's not living with Actually, her, is he? Or no, in nineteen in nineteen thirty, she's listed in the census as living alone as a widow, as, and a, widow. as a photographer. Okay. He goes away. Um, let's see. He was born in eighteen ninety eight. Okay. 
Um, he does go away. I think he actually served in World War One, and he went to Williams College of Massachusetts. Um, and so by 19, let's see, by 1930, he'd be, you know, well into his 30s. He'd be 30, okay. 33 years old. Mm -hmm. No, he was not living um, in Philadelphia with okay. his mother at that point. But then in 1940, though, well, I guess what I, I guess why I thought they were living together in 1930 because there's a picture that's identified as being from 1930 at the University of Pennsylvania, that is a picture of her sitting on a bench, sort mm -hmm. of in the same frame as Harrison, but they're not really interacting with each other. Yeah, it's it, it such a bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure what to make of that either. Uh, yeah, and now that I'm looking at, um, I see in the 1940 census, you are correct, Harrison, her son, is listed as living with her in 1940. Okay. He's 41 years old at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I do know he never married, mm -hmm. um, so he didn't set up you know, a separate household with his own family. Okay. So I don't know if 1930 was just he happened to not be there that particular mm -hmm. year, or if there was a gap of, of time when he was living somewhere else and by 1940 had moved back home. Right. I, it, it sounds like they had sort of a, a, a torturous relationship between the two of them. But, um, yeah, so let's talk yeah, a little bit about... It, sort of love-hate, yeah. Yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about that, because that sort of factors into what happens, right, after she dies in 1941, mm -hmm. Right. I, my understanding is that you know there was definitely some problems between mm -hmm. the two of them when she died in 1941. She actually wasn't that old. You know, she was 67. Mm -hmm. You know, her son was in his early 40s, mm -hmm. and he was living apparently in Virginia. Point. And um, he was unwilling, even though he had apparently no interest in returning to the family home, Philadelphia. Right. He did not want to sell the house, mm -hmm. so he instructed attorneys to simply, you know, close the door, and he hired somebody in the neighborhood to kind of look out for the house to, you know, probably shovel the snow off the sidewalk mm -hmm. right. a bunch of time to make it not look abandoned Okay. on the off chance that he would want to come back to it at some point. Okay. He lived until 1977 mm -hmm. and never came back to the house. He was still the owner, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And. and Somebody offered to buy it a couple a couple of times, I think, but he would never return their letters or something. Right. Yeah. Right. So he certainly had options to get rid of it if mm -hmm. he wanted to, but for whatever reason, you know, felt a sentimental attachment to it or some other kind of attachment right. to it. Um, and, you know, he died 35, 36 years after his mother and wow. had never been back. Wow. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, so incredible that <laughs> he would have this house for so long. And, well, his mother had died at home, right? So I guess you could argue yeah. that there was a painful memory there, but to spend all that money on the upkeep and never actually set foot in it again. But then after he dies... My understanding, after he died, um, he, he didn't have any direct heirs because mm -hmm. he, he didn't marry and have right. children, but whoever inherited the house, which was probably you know, some extended family member, mm -hmm. um, they decided to... They wanted to sell the house. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they went in and took things that they thought were valuable to sell right. that belonged to them and then just decided to sell the house and the remaining contents. Mm -hmm. And someone purchased the home, moved in or was about to move in and realized, 
have been left behind uh-huh. and realized, you know, the content of her, uh, Gertrude's studio was there. And so then at that point, the new homeowners contacted a woman in the neighborhood of Gertrude's home who was sort of seen as the unofficial neighborhood historian to ask if she would be interested in taking all the, the photographs and the, mm-hmm. the negatives and the records. They, they, you know, they realized that there was some value, even yes. if it wasn't a monetary value, there right. was you know, tremendous historical value yeah. in them. And this woman in the neighborhood was like, well, yes, of course, this is important material. Right. So she's the one that, that sort of took the material on, and it was from her that um, the library company acquired the okay. material in the late 1980s. Okay. But she tells the story of going into the home for mm-hmm. the first time right. with the new owners and realizing that, you know, it was like a time capsule from 1941 wow. when Gertrude died. You know, that there was, you know, a teapot still sitting on the table. Uh, the calendar was still turned to February 1941, which is the month that she died. There wow. was, you know, a pile of newspapers from 1941. You know, it was just sort of a really... Weird feeling yeah. to be in a place where you know almost the last person who's been in the home was the photographer. Right. Right. Well, and that's just incredible. And then it, it's incredible that the whoever the family was who went in and took stuff out. Um, at least they didn't throw anything away in terms of her studio mm-hmm. materials. Yeah. But it's amazing that they just left it all there, and then the new owner, you know, thought again not to throw it away. Thank goodness. Um, and thought that yeah. somebody somewhere might find some value in it, but uh, but that's just incredible that her son just had it sit there and apparently never even went in and cleaned up, you know, the teapot and stuff. Oh. Wow, <laughs> it's just it's sort of mind-boggling. As far as we know, her son was never a photographer, although. I think there was a mention that he was on the board of some sort of stereoscopic organization or something like that. Did you run across anything that indicated he had anything to do with photography? Uh, I have to say no, and that, that's interesting. I didn't know that reference. Okay, um, I'll send you that clip. I don't remember exactly okay. what it was, but it, there was Yeah, something. I think if he had a career, it was in the military, which doesn't preclude that he was interested in photography. True. But that was his, you know, he, I think, was a like an officer in the, in the okay. military. Okay. Oh, he was the president of the Winnick Stereoscopic Processes of New York from 1930 to 1940, according to his obituary. So it's not clear. So maybe that's what he was doing in the 30s. He was off somewhere. Maybe he was doing something with photography. Possibly, hmm. yeah. So because I, her, Gertrude's brother-in-law was an inventor and an artist. H. Lyman Sayan, Edward's younger brother, he was an artist and inventor of some sort of x-ray process. And he was a judge of a photography exhibition in Philadelphia. And another member of the panel was actually Alfred Stieglitz. So, oh, wow. oh, you have some really interesting stuff I want for my research files. All right, all right, I'll send you everything I got. <laughs> so, um, but see, you've got all of her stuff, though. You've got all those letters and those ledger books and stuff. <laughs> Which is very exciting oh, for me yeah. that like this this exists. I mean, because usually you don't find the stuff has been preserved. You typically find that some family member or a distant relative, but yeah, we'll just throw it all out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that is yeah. very true. Yeah. But that might be, you know, maybe that's where Gertrude learned photography. I wonder. 
I wonder now. Um, I mean, because it does seem like, I feel like some of the society column that I mentioned where it said, you know, Miss mm-hmm. So-and-So went with Miss So-and-So and Mr. So-and-So yep. with them. I felt like I saw, you know, different members of the same family before she was married mm-hmm. to Edward, mm-hmm. that they were sort of roaming around together. Mm-hmm. So that might be, you know, a connection to right. you know, her future brother-in-law. Right. Um, so, and then, I mean, that brother-in-law, he, I believe, moves to Paris with his wife. And then um, they come back at the start of the war, World War One, And then he dies in 1918, but I don't think he dies as a soldier. I'm pretty sure he dies at home. Um, but he's fairly young in 1918. So, I, but I haven't really investigated him either. So another area for exploration. Because he didn't right. do photography, but he's on this panel to judge photography so maybe he did do some photography it's not in any of his official bios it talks about him as being but a painter you would, you would think that they would get judges that had some i mean even if they weren't photographers mm-hmm. themselves had some artistic background right or, you know, right some reason to think that they were worthy of judging others that's right that's right and i mean certainly i mean i don't know if it was true then but well no i mean i think uh for name and greet did photography to take pictures of stuff that he would eventually be interested in painting pictures of not to paint that mm-hmm. like not to replicate the photo but to sort of you know take ideas from the world to right. remind himself right. or something so i know other photographers did mm-hmm. that i mean other painters did that too and actually my aunt is a painter and uh, she taught me how to do photography when i was a kid not that she did photography for her art, but she did photography again to sort of as references and things like that. So, right. So, yeah. No, so, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And also, I'm just wondering, you know, 1918, I think that's right around when they, um, the uh, influenza. True. Epidemic. That's true. So he could have so died of that. Died that. Yeah. You know, if he died young and, that, and he wasn't in the war, he could have mm-hmm. sadly been a victim of. Right. The, the right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find his obituary, see if it says more about that. I think what, I, what I've seen is unfortunately based on Wikipedia for him. But, um, and then I think one other reference about that thing in the judging the photo contest. So, but, uh, but lots of curious things. But, you know, again, just trying to understand, Gertrude seemed like she was a very successful photographer running the studio seemingly on her own except for this anomaly that her husband is the one listed as a photographer in 1920 in the census and so i guess this idea that women couldn't sort of be on named on the studio i certainly have run across a lot of women who are named on the studio even in philadelphia in 1915 so i'm not quite sure what to make of her name not being listed there in the directory i wonder if it's at all i mean was it a business directory or was it a residential directory? Do you remember? This is a sort of the combination. I mean, so in modern terms, it would have been white pages and yellow pages. Or okay, not modern, but right. you know, when I was growing up, there were some white pages and the yellow pages. And mm-hmm. so I'm in both. So in the white pages residence section, it's listed as Edward Sand Jr. photographer. And unlike some small town directories, there isn't a parenthesis to say the wife's name. And Gertrude isn't listed separately. And then in the photographer's list, I forget how many um, there are. There may be, and there are a ton of photographers, maybe 80 photographers in that directory in 1915 in Philadelphia. But there are women listed there, maybe 10 
of them are women, and they're listed with their names. But then Edward Sagan Jr. is listed as a photographer in this, what I call the photographer's list, in the business directory. And I was just wondering, because probably not a lot of people were doing, at least in, by 1915, mm-hmm. were, were doing photography in their homes. So I'm wondering, maybe I, I just don't want to admit that <laughs> Edward could be the photographer behind this, but oh, I'm wondering I if maybe because you know he was the household head. Right. So in the directories, I'm not sure at what point they would list people who weren't the household head. So, like, I'm not sure. Oh, I see. I see so what you mean. Certainly, you know, certainly other people living in the household would not be listed. Yeah, that's one of the drawbacks right. in the directory. Right, you know, right. Picking up everybody. Right. So I'm wondering if, if that might explain the sort of the, the residential part. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know, he's listed, I would say, because he was the household head for that household. Right. And that household was a photography studio. You know, if someone wasn't being very careful or just, you know, that was an insignificant difference to them that it wasn't actually Edward doing it, it was right. twice. Right, that's true. So that maybe... explain sort of shorthand, they just sort of, they had the formula, that's what you do, and then you go to the next house and that's know, right. do that. But that doesn't explain in the, the business section Mm-mm. why he would have had his name there. Right. I mean, it, I mean, it could be, I suppose, that if she had the studio at the home, they didn't want to make it look like it was she was there on her own or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I could make up. I, I'd have to go back because exactly. in that same. So I'm just looking. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, yeah, so there are ten women in the photographers list in 1915 um, that are listed in that yellow pages kind of section. Um, but I'd have to go back and see how they're listed in the residence section. Um, but then they are listed in the photographers list. And at least a couple of them, I have a note on this list of these photographers that um, at least two of them are married, but it's their name in the photographer's list, not just, I mean, so one, actually, I'll take it back, the two are married, actually married to photographers. It's just, it was really striking, actually, to sort of look in this list and realize that Gertrude is not there, even though she did start, I mean, there was an article in the newspaper that said she started her career in 1913 and your ledger started in 1913 so that sort of matches that mm-hmm. but certainly no indication in anything that he was doing any kind of photography and in you know her mark that on these photos that we have the examples of the prints of it's her who has signed them and her who has put the her right stamp on it yeah, so. very clearly yep and yeah. all the you know the envelopes that right people were returning you know their, right. their proofs right it very clearly you know it's saying Gertrude Sayan right it doesn't say it's the, the Sayan studio right it is Gertrude right. Sayan yeah so I don't know it's uh it's a puzzle so there'll still be more to uncover I think at some point yeah. about Gertrude yeah. any final thoughts about her life career I have to say, from from talking to you, it makes me realize that there's still so much more work we could be doing with, you mm-hmm. know, the collection and, and learning more about her. You know, you've told me things I did not know, and I hope I didn't know. And it's just one of these thoughts of 
there's so many interesting women photographers, historical you know, women photographers that we don't know a lot about. And once you just start to do a little bit of digging, mm-hmm. great stories emerge. And then when you talk to other people, they have little bits and pieces of the story and it sort of a building blocks into something that is just fascinating. I completely agree. I mean, I think one of the um, archivists here at the University of Washington, Nicolette Bromberg, uh, commented once that she finds as she starts to uncover these stories, she feels like she's saving lives because she's resurrecting the stories of these women who have been overlooked and forgotten. And yet you learn that they were just fascinating um, in terms of the work they did, the kinds of photographs they took, and even just kind of the lives they led. So, well, as you know, it's my passion to do this, uh, which is why I'm doing this podcast. I'm really happy that I could be part of it because it's a, a real interest of mine as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's great to know that, that you're out here doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's always exciting for me to connect with somebody like yourself that has the same kind of interest and passion. It's really been a great pleasure. I really appreciate your taking the time. Thank there... you for asking me. I really want to thank Sarah Weatherwax for joining me on the podcast both the last time and today. As we discuss Gertrude Sahan, it's really been fascinating to trade stories and get information about the Sahan studio in Philadelphia. Because of the two-part nature of the story, I want to just recap a little bit of the material that we discussed just now, and also add a little bit of information that I happened on right after I hung up the phone with Sarah. But first, just to recap, Gertrude Kimball Sahan was married to Edward Sahan Jr., There doesn't seem to be evidence in the records that Sarah has seen so far at the library company to indicate that Gertrude Sain was running the studio with Edward Sain. But certainly other written records that survive do seem to indicate that Edward actually was a photographer as well. Moreover, Edward Sain dies in 1928. And in the Philadelphia directories that I've looked at online between 1915 and 1928, It's Edward Sayan who is consistently listed as a photographer in the White Pages residence listing. And he's the one who's listed as having a studio in the photographer's list in what I call the Yellow Pages, the business part of those directories. Gertrude Sayan is not listed anywhere in the directory, not in the residence, not in the business part. And she's not in any census as being a photographer prior to Edward's death. But we do know on dates on photos that survive that Gertrude was a photographer. I mean, she's signing her names to photographs that were taken in the 19-teens that I've seen online and in the 1920s, the examples of which I put on the episode notes for today's episode, that photo book by Gertrude about Betty Ann Hunt and the photo book by Gertrude about Herbert Dwight Holcomb, both of which were from the 1920s. But it's only after Edward's death in 1928 that Gertrude Sand starts to surface in the census and the Philadelphia directories as running a photography studio. It's really bizarre. I mean, there are other married women listed in the Philadelphia directories in the early 20th century who are photographers, and a couple of them are actually even running studios with their own husbands. So in 1915, we actually find several of those married women photographers listed in the business directory for photographers, but we don't find Gertrude Sain listed there. So if Gertrude and Edward Sain were running the Sain studio together, why is there no mention of Gertrude in the directories as a photographer? 
But if she wasn't a photographer and only Edward was during that early period, then why is her signature on the photographs that we've discovered that survive from that period when she was taking pictures of kids and signing her name to them? It'll be really interesting at some point to work with Sarah to see if we can find any records that haven't been examined as carefully at the library company that might reveal maybe a little bit more about what the true nature of the relationship between Edward and Gertrude and that studio was in the 19-teens and 1920s. Okay, so that's one thing I wanted to just sort of clarify the whole relationship as to who was running the Sanian studio and why I think Gertrude was more involved than the written records of the directories and the census would suggest. Now, in part one of the story, Sarah speculated about how Gertrude and Edward might have met. And after I hung up the phone with Sarah, I did a quick search to see if I could find anything more about any other notices about Gertrude in the paper. And I stumbled upon the fact that Gertrude Kimball, as she was known before she was married, Gertrude Kimball was actually a well-known tennis player at the U.S. national level. She had several major successes that are written up on a site that's called TennisForum.com. At that same time, in the late 1890s, Marguerite Sayan, who was Edward Sayan's sister, well, Marguerite was also a well-known and well-respected tennis player. So Gertrude and Marguerite were both tennis players at the U.S. national level together. Now, Gertrude's career ends in 1896, and that's the year she married Edward Sayan. Staying with Edward and Marguerite Sayan, the brother and sister there, um, there was another brother named Henry Lyman Sayan. He's the one that Sarah and I talk about as being the jury of the photography exhibition in Philadelphia in 1916. And Sarah and I speculate about whether or not he was ever a photographer because I had seen information that indicated he was an inventor and a painter, but there was no mention of him ever being a photographer. So I looked into that a little bit more, and I discovered that Henry Lyman Sayan was never a photographer that's ever mentioned in anything, but he was a very well-respected Cubist-style painter in the early 20th century. He and his wife, Jeanette, moved to Paris in the early 1900s when Jeanette got transferred to Paris to write about the fashion scene for a newspaper back in Philadelphia. It's just like a modern marriage where the husband's following his wife's career. Henry Lyman Sayan, or Lyman, I'm going to call him because that's what his wife called him. So Lyman Sayan, he is doing some commercial art on the side, and so he takes some freelance gigs while they're in Paris to produce some artwork for the Wanamaker's department store catalog. And the Wanamaker's was the big department store in Philadelphia, and it actually had a connection to the newspaper that Jeanette Sayan was working for. But it's Jeanette's career that brings them to Paris. But while they're there, Lyman then has more time to study art, and so he then follows his painting passion and, as I said, becomes a big Cuba-style painter who has several exhibitions and is really very well respected. They move back to Philadelphia in 1916. Lyman winds up on this photography exhibition's jury somehow, and he tries to continue his painting career, uh, but he's also involved with some aspects of the war effort. Now, I think uh, Sarah and I discussed how he died in 1918, and we speculated maybe it was from the flu, but I actually found his death certificate, and that says that he died of diabetes at the age of only 43. 
On the death certificate, his wife, who is the informant, lists him as Lyman Sayan. So it just points out when you're doing this genealogy research, you really have to keep an open mind about how people might have referred to their loved ones if they were writing about them in an obituary or in a death certificate, because his full name was Henry Lyman Sayan, but apparently during his lifetime, he used Lyman Sayan. What's interesting is that in 19... 16, when Jeanette and Lyman moved back to the U.S., they actually bring with them their little daughter who was born in Paris. Her name is Anne. Now, when she grows up, she also has an art career, but later in her life, she makes it her life's mission to revive the interest in her father's paintings. As I said, in his own lifetime, he apparently went by Lyman saying, but when she revives interest in his paintings and sponsors a big exhibition in New York City in 1970 about his work, well, she always refers to him as H.L. Sain. Anyway, never found any information, though, uh, anything to do with Lyman Sain that he ever did photography. Now, I haven't found out a lot of information about Harrison Sain, Gertrude and Edward's son. Sarah and I talk about how it's just the curious incident that when Gertrude dies in 1941, her son Harrison isn't living in Philadelphia. He's living in Virginia. And basically, he never goes back to that house, but instructs somebody to lock up the house and you know take care of it to make sure it doesn't look abandoned. But he never sets foot in that house again, which is really quite curious because when it's finally sold after Harrison's death, the owners go in and they discover all of the stuff in the house is just as Gertrude left it when she died in 1941. And one thing that Sarah and I didn't talk about, but it's actually in the write-up by that local historian who went in the house uh, when it was sold, that historian said that they discovered in the basement the skeleton of a cat who apparently had died of just being locked in without food. It's hard to say whether or not the cat was Gertrude's, and died after she did because nobody actually went in the house, or whether the cat got in and was trapped in there when someone went in just to take care of things but didn't notice the cat in there. So it's really kind of puzzling what happened with Harrison and Gertrude. I'll post the picture that Sarah and I talk about that's really curious of Gertrude and her son from 1930 sitting together and yet not together, and it's got this odd label on it. It says, Gertrude saying, quote, the photographer, and Harrison saying, quote, the colonel. The picture is, is really quite striking because the two people are together, and yet they're really apart. And maybe that illustrates something about their relationship, because clearly when she died, he had no interest or desire or anything to go back to that house, but he would never agree to sell that house even though, as far as we can tell, he never set foot in it between 1941 and when he died decades later. So that's another odd mystery that surrounds the life and death of Gertrude Sain. And one final note, I promised a little bit more about that little boy with his toy boat in the photo book that my husband and I found on eBay. The little boy's name was Herbert Dwight Holcomb. Given the wealth of material that's available online, I was able to do a quick search to discover a little bit more about what happens to little Herbert Dwight Holcomb after he sits to get his picture taken in Gertrude Sayan's studio in Philadelphia in 1925. His family moves away from Philadelphia, and he winds up graduating from high school in Troy, New York, 
before he goes to Bucknell University and later Mansfield State College. He later serves as a lieutenant in the Army Air Corps in World War II, before going back to Troy, New York, and having a career as a deputy sheriff in Bradford County, being the director of the First National Bank of Troy, New York, for a while. He was very active in local business associations there in Troy, New York, as well as being active in the Presbyterian Church. In the late 1960s, he becomes the mayor of Troy, New York. In July of 1969, his death is headline news when he's killed in a car accident. Tragically, he's only 49 when he dies. But it is just incredible to me how much information you can find out online to sort together the information about the little boy with the sailor suit whose life is ahead of him in that picture in 1925. And it's really a beautiful picture and was taken, of course, by the wonderful Gertrude Sayan. All of the materials that I talk about in today's episode are, as usual, available on my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. If you have any questions or want to just drop me a line, send an email to podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember, you can always follow Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols on Facebook at facebook.com slash p3photographers. I really want to thank Sarah Weatherwax for agreeing to talk to me as we piece together a little bit more about Gertrude Sayan. Well, that's it for today. As always, thanks for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. <laughs> <laughs>